2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. Now, Saul was the king. David takes over for Saul. King David takes over for Saul after he dies. So Saul and Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle together as they're fighting for Israel. And God allows them to be killed in that battle because he wants Saul to die. God wants Saul to die right there. Came a Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. Let me point out too, when God's ready for you to go, you will go. And let me put the flip side of that coin. I'm going to give you some good news. When God's not ready for you to go, you're not going to go no matter what the doctors say or what, they, what prediction they have or how long they give you or whatever. When God says you're going, you'll go. It might be 10 years from when. There's been lots of times where the doctor said, yeah, you've got two months and you get another 10 years. The Lord does what the Lord wants to do. Both sides of it. So took him up. So when Saul and Jonathan died of Jezreel, his nurse, the nurse of Mephibosheth, his nurse took him up and fled... And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So this young man, when he was about five years old, when his uh, dad, Jonathan, was killed in battle, she knew that this things were going to change. So she wanted to protect him. So this nurse took off and she started running and she's carrying him. And no fault of his own, she trips, he falls and evidently breaks his spine, does something to him where he loses the use of his legs. He becomes lame when he fell. Here's the bad news I'm going to give you this morning. The bad news is, like Mephibosheth, you're fallen and you're lame. Just like Mephibosheth. You're fallen, you're lame, and you're helpless. Amen. And like Mephibosheth, it's no fault of your own. I'm not trying to accuse you of something that's your fault. Really, truly, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, the fault is Adam's. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam passed it on to his kids. His kids passed it on to their kids. And of course, passed it on to your dad. Your dad passed it on to you. And guess what? You're passing it on to your kids. It's called sin. And that's the bad news. But man, I'm going to give you some really good news this morning. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now I'm going to give you some really good news. You need to realize, everyone needs to realize the condition they're in in God's eyes. In God's eyes, you're Mephibosheth. In God's eyes, you're lame, you're fallen, and you're helpless. Now, the world doesn't like to think that way. The world likes to tell you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Think positive. You know, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. It's all about positivity. It's all about humanism. But the Bible tells us that you're fallen. You're a sinner. And you need help, just like Mephibosheth. So everybody underneath the sound of my voice, if you like it or not, you're Mephibosheth. But I got some good news for you. And it's found in chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, now this is when David becomes king. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I, might, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now understand... David and Saul's son, Jonathan. David and Jonathan were best friends. The Bible says they, were, they loved one another. The Bible talks about how they would fall on each other when they were being separated, and they would give each other a kiss and love. Now, of course, some people take that. They, some people, and we know we live in the world today where they confuse love with lust. And they confuse lust with love. But the Bible is real specific that David and Jonathan didn't have a relationship like the world would like to think, you, they, think that they did. 
They had a great friendship. And anybody, any man in here who has a good friend, best friend, they know exactly what this is talking about. And David says, Jonathan's dead, but I want to do something for him through one of his kids. I want to show him some kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 2, and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. Or Ziba, excuse me. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, uh, thy, thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto, king, unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Emil, and Lodabar. I'm going to preach this morning on the kindness of the kindness of God. The kindness, the kindness of God. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your kindness. Father, I've known you as being nothing but gracious and kind and merciful and loving and understanding, and I thank you for being that kind of God. Lord, I'm a kind of sinner, Lord, that doesn't deserve it, but you give me the love anyway. I'm the kind of sinner, Lord God, that messes up, Lord, but you keep on loving me, Lord. And I thank you for being that way, Lord. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for being so nice and gentle and understanding, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that when I come to you in prayer, Father, that you're not sitting on a throne of condemnation, Lord, that you're sitting on a throne of grace. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for the, the people here this morning, Lord God, that love you, that come out to hear from you, Lord God. And I pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, you'd move on them, Lord God. And speak to their heart, Lord God, how you really feel about them. That you love them and that you want to show them some kindness. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He wants to show you kindness. The good news is God wants to show you kindness for Jesus Christ's sake. It says there in verse 1, Show, I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. God wants to show you kindness for Jesus Christ's sake. And once you can get in Jesus Christ by taking Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's going to show you more kindness than you ever dreamed of. More grace than you ever dreamed of. More love than you ever dreamed of. You don't know love. You don't even understand love until you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can talk about love. You can write poems about love. You can talk about the love between a man and a woman. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's nothing, nothing, nothing compared to like the love that I have in Jesus Christ. And if you're in here, if you're in here this morning, you don't understand that love, you need to get into Jesus Christ. Now look down at verse 4. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker. Now Maker, that means soul. That word maker means sold. Mephibosheth is in the wrong house. He's in the house of bondage. He's been sold. Just like you, you've been sold into sin. You've been sold into bondage. You're owned by the devil. Because of sin, you're going to die. You're in the wrong house. You need to get into the house of God through Jesus Christ. So Mephibosheth, through great wonder and kindness of David, is going to get into the house of David. He doesn't deserve it. What do you mean by that? Do you not understand the story of Saul? Saul did nothing but try to kill David from almost the moment David showed up. David kills Goliath. Does a great wonder with the power of God for the nation of Israel, for Saul, who's king. And what does Saul do? Saul says, I want him to sing for me. 
Saul, Saul brings David in. He starts playing his musical instruments. What's Saul do? He gets the evil spirit of him. He takes a javelin and tries to kill David right there. And from that moment on, Saul's out to kill David. If anything, David said, I don't want to have anything to do with any of Saul's kinfolk. I don't want to have anything to do with any of Saul's kinfolk. But because of Jonathan and his love for Jonathan, in spite of his dad, his love for Jonathan, he says, I want to show kindness, kindness to Jonathan. And I want to do it through Mephibosheth. Does Mephibosheth deserve it? No. <laughs> Let me point something out to you. This story of Mephibosheth is very important because what it says is David's going to do all this for Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth can do nothing in return. He's lame. He's helpless. He's useless. And David still brings him in and is going to show him all this kindness. The world will show you kindness. Amen? The world will show you kindness, but they expect something in return. You ever notice that? They'll be kind to you, but then you all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're calling you up and like, don't you have a pickup truck? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have a pickup truck. Well, I'm going to be new, moving next Saturday. Can I borrow it? No, I'm not letting you borrow my pickup truck. Well, can you help me? And you start thinking about that little bit of something they did for you, and you're like, man, why did I ever let them do that for me? Now I've got to help them. That's how the world works. That's not how this works. That's not how God's grace works. He gives it. He doesn't expect anything in return. It's amazing. Now look at verse 5. Let's look at the first one. I'm going to show you seven of these quickly. Verse 5. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Mel, from Lodabar. So the King David sent and he fetched Mephibosheth out of that bondage. God shows his kindness and goes and finds the lost. The kindness of God goes and finds me and you. We didn't find God. God found us. God searched for us. Remember the story of Adam and Eve when they sinned, when they fell, when they did exactly what God didn't want them to do. They went and hid. And God showed up looking for them. He knew what they had done. He could have said, well, that's done. And just wipe out all the earth, start over again. But he went looking for them. This book's not about the 99 sheep that are found. It's about the one that's lost. Jesus Christ said, he said in Luke chapter, let's see, let me get this right and give you the right verse. 1910, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ came to seek us. It's not enough to seek us. It's like, you know, Jesus Christ is out to get, out to get you. Oh, well, I better go hide because he's probably got a belt. He's probably going to bring down lightning from from heaven and destroy me because I know I'm a mighty sinner. No, Christ came to seek and to save you. He's going to heal you. The kindness of God goes and finds the lost. You know, uh, it says that King David sent. I was reading a story about Sir Leonard Wood. There was a guy named Sir Leonard Wood and the king, the king at that time, I think it was the king of England, the king at that time sent him, him an invitation to come dine with him. And the time came for him to go dine, and he went. He went to the king's castle, and he got to the king's castle, and he's brought before the king. He says, I have this invitation to come dine with the king. He comes in, comes into the to hallway, and there's the king, and the king looks kind of mad. And he's like, uh-oh. And the king says, uh, Mr. Sir Leonard Wood, I sent you an invitation, and you never replied. You never answered. And Sir Leonard Wood's response was, 
An invitation from a king is never answered. It's obeyed. An invitation from a king is never answered. It's obeyed. Like when the king sends you an invitation, it's not like if you want to or not, it's like, well, that's what I'm going to be doing on that day. <laughs> but the world don't see it that way. They don't realize that when Jesus Christ is calling them, when Jesus Christ is coming to you, this isn't just a man. This is the king of kings. And when a king invites you, you better come. There's all kinds of parables that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ told. Marriage par parables, feast parables, where they, people were invited and they would give excuses. Why well, i got to go work some land. I've got to go do my job. I've got to go take care of this and take care of that. And Jesus Christ describes these people not wanting to come to the feast. And what does that king do? That king says, well, go out into the highways and the byways and find the good and the bad and bring them in. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love that word bad. That's me. I understand a king won't invite good people in. Amen? But he wants to bring in the bad. Bring them in. The worthless, the lame, the helpless, the blind, the deaf, the mute. Bring them all in. Praise the Lord. That's not how the world works. The world wants to bring in only the pretty people, the rich people, the influential people. That's how the world works. And that's how we judge each other, amen? We're, on, we're, on, we're in Eureka Springs, we're on this train. This train would go down maybe, I don't know how many miles, 10 miles, and it would stop, and you'd get out, and then the train would go back up, go back up there. Well, on that train, was these, there were two, there were 100 people on that train, but there was one couple, two people. I spotted them. I'm like, this, so you had this ugly guy, ugly, just normal looking guy like this, and he's with this beautiful woman. Had a little sun hat on, young, beautiful. So first thing I said is, how much money does that guy have? He's got to be a doctor. So we, they get us off the train, and we're waiting for everything to happen. We get off the train. So me and my wife are discussing this. I'm like, because they're out there taking pretty, she's out there taking pretty pictures and all that. And he's like, click, 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 click. And I'm talking about it. I'm like, I, I, I bet he's a doctor or a surgeon or something, because he's ugly. How could he get her? Well, a guy overheard me. And he says, we, me and my wife were just talking about the same thing. <laughs> so I think he's a drug dealer. Might be a drug dealer. That's how the world works. That ugly guy don't deserve to be with her. We don't deserve to be with Jesus Christ. He's beautiful and righteous and holy and clean. What is he doing with me? I'm nothing special. I'm a beggar. What does a king, what does a king do for a beggar? What can a beggar do? Do for a king. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus Christ invites us anyway. Amen. Amen. In verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Mephibosheth does what all, we should all do. When he came into the presence of David, when we come into the presence of Jesus Christ, it should put us on our knees and realize, you know what, I'm nothing but a servant. This is a king. I don't deserve to be in his presence. That's a great attitude to have. Reverence. He fell on his face. Here's, let's see the second thing, second thing God does here through David. Verse 7. And David said unto him, him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. 
Wow. The second thing you're going to find out about the kindness of God, it brings peace into your life. The kindness of God brings peace into your life. Amen. Fear not. I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness and grace because of Jesus Christ's sake. See, we come into the presence of God and we know He's holy. We know He's righteous. We know He can throw us into a devil's hell. He can judge us. He knows all our sins, all our deep secret sins. God knows all of that. And we come into His presence and God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you great grace and kindness because of Jesus Christ's sake. When you see the kindness of God, it's going to give you peace and joy. I cannot describe to you unless you have it. Amen? There's people that amen to me because they know. In the world, there's tribulation. There's worry. There's fear. But in Jesus Christ, there's great peace. It, it's, the, it's, hard to, it's, it's not something you can show somebody. You can't say, here, here's the peace of Jesus Christ and show them physically. Now, you should be able sometimes to see it on my face. The happiness, the joy. Not always. Sometimes I'm ready to kill somebody. I'm not right with the Lord all the time. But I have the peace that passes all understanding. Christ says that peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said that to every one of us. Believers in Jesus Christ, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you peace. Don't worry about it. It's what the kindness of God does. End of verse 7. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. The kindness of God supplies all your needs. You realize what David just said? Hey, come in here. Don't worry, I'm going to give you all your dad, your granddad's land back to you. You're going to have all that. And I'm going to let you sit at my table. We're going to eat together. Continually. This isn't just like a one-month thing or like, hey, come over here and hang out with me for three months and I'm going to send your lame, helpless self back over there. I don't want to have it. No, he says, come on, continually. You're going to eat at my table. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus Christ invites us and doesn't ever kick us out. I will in no wise kick them out. That's what Christ said. I've got them in my hand. I shall give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once you get into the kindness of God, it never ends. It never ends, brothers and sisters. It never ends. That's why it's so wonderful. If it ended, I'd be in trouble. If it ended, there's no way I could take it. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. All your needs will be supplied by God. Through Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All your need. Now notice it didn't say wants. It said needs. And when we say needs, most of us automatically think material things. Well, I need this and I need that and I need that. But really, in the world we're living in today, what the world needs is wisdom and understanding. It's lacking. Wisdom and understanding is lacking. There's a real need of that in our generation, in our youth, in some of our leaders, in the government, mayors, congressmen, senators, president, vice president, for sure she needs a lot of wisdom and understanding. I need lots of wisdom and understanding. You're only going to get that at the bread at my table continually. 
Now, we know the Word of God, and we know that in the Word of God, the Bible, God's words are described as bread. I've esteemed thy words more, more than my necessary food. And you're only going to get wisdom and understanding by getting into this book and eating at God's table, the Word of God, right here. That's where you're going to get wisdom and understanding. That's what we need. That's what we all need. That's all we all need. Can you imagine... Eat bread at my table continually. Can you imagine being at the table of a king every day? What would that be like? Well, you see what I'm saying? When you're at the king's table, you're learning all the inside scoop. <laughs> you're learning all the juicy stuff. You're finding out what's happening here and what's happening there and who's moving here and who's moving there and what the king's going to do next and what the king doesn't want to do. You're finding out all this information. That's what God gives us through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, He gives us understanding the world's never going to get. Why? Because they're not at the table of the king and getting fed. Verse 8. Mephibosheth does something very important here. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Wow. Mephibosheth, he looks at all this great kindness that David's doing and he says to David, I'm nothing but a dead dog. What are you doing? The fourth thing you need to know about God's kindness is God's kindness brings conviction. It brings real conviction. Amen. God's kindness really convicts you. When you get around God's kindness, what happens is you start realizing, why is he so nice to me? I don't deserve this. Why has he been so nice to me? You ever, and I've had this happen to me maybe because I'm such a, I, I wear my emotions on my shoulder, but I've had some people do something so kind to me and so generous that it literally brings tears to my eyes. Like, what, why are you doing this? I mean, I'm just, sometimes I'm speechless. You know that takes a lot for me to be speechless. And it, tears well up because of the kindness of people. And when I got into Jesus Christ and I got saved, I didn't know my Bible. I started studying my Bible. I started reading my Bible. I started understanding. Man, there's, this is forever. I don't have to worry about losing it. This is, this is great. God's going to keep me. <laughs> and I'm a dead dog. It brings real conviction because you're like, I don't deserve any of this. I'm nothing but a dead dog. You know, you might be a somebody at work or you're around your family. You might be a somebody somewhere. It may be in your church. I don't know. You might, but you know, you're nobody around King Jesus. You might be a somebody at work or in the world, but around King Jesus, you're a nobody. Everybody pales in comparison to Jesus Christ. Every religious teacher, every religious faker, every, every denomination, every Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, it don't, Catholic, it don't matter what you are, who you are, when it comes to Jesus Christ, you pale in comparison to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're nothing but dead dogs. When you get around the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ, it brings out your own sins and faults. See, when you're in the world... You tend to compare yourself to the world and to your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers. And you get to looking around and you're like, man, look at what they do. and Look what this one does. And I'm not that bad. I do some good things. I, I, I'm not that bad a person. I try to behave. My, but then when you get around the holiness and pureness of Jesus Christ, it humbles you down. You realize you're nothing but a dead dog. You're a dead dog with fleas. Amen. Look at verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, 
or Ziba, excuse me, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord for those verses. Mephibosheth, how much plowing, how much work is he going to be able to do with laying feet? Not a lot. What that shows you is the kindness of God produces the fruit for you. Amen. Verse 10. Till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits. See, Ziba is a type of the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is going to produce the fruit for you, through you. You're not doing it. You just sit back. You just eat at the table. You eat at the table. And God is going to start producing fruit through you and for you. It's not yours to do. Why is that so important? Why am I hammering on that? Because as Christians, we try so hard sometimes to be something we're not. And we're never going to be. Amen? And we slip and we fall. And sometimes we need to stand up and say, I need to stop being something that I'm not and allow God to do it through me. I can't stop hating this person. I can't find a way to forgive this person. Well, of course you can. You're a sinner. You're a dead dog. But God, through you, through the Holy Spirit, can love them, can forgive them. You just got to get out of the way. And what's amazing about the kindness of God is He saves you, and then He produces the fruit through you. You don't have to do it. It's not my job to produce joy. It's not my job to produce peace. I fail every time. Every time I try to give myself peace, I'm like, if I do this, I have peace. You know what I find out? When I do something in the world, I don't get the peace I thought I would get. And there's times where like, if I could just do this, man, I'll have great joy. And I'll go do this, and I don't have the joy. I'm trying to produce peace. I'm trying to produce joy. God's supposed to be doing all that. It's God's job to produce peace, to produce joy through you, to produce love. That's the wonderful thing about God is He does it for you. It's not your work, but His work through you and the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us that. Five, Galatians 5.22 verse 23, the fruits of the Spirit are this, and it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith, all those nine fruits. That's what God's doing through the Holy Spirit through you. You're not producing it. That same chapter 5, if you go read that chapter before that, it tells you all the fruits are the works of the flesh, and it's not good. That's me and you, see. That's Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, I can't work, I can't do any of this. Don't worry about it. I'm on, he's going to till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, and he's going to eat at my table. He's not doing anything. Not of works, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Who gets the glory out of that? The Lord God, through Jesus Christ. That's why he does it. John 15, Christ explained this. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you can't bear fruit of yourself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
For without me, without Jesus, ye can do nothing. Nothing. We're relying on Christ to do it through us. And sometimes we get ahead of Christ and we start trying to work and do all this stuff. I'm going to go till the land. I'm going to go do this. I'm and God says, just, just, just relax. I'm going to do it for you. Guys, that's so important. It's a wonderful thing to know I don't have to produce this love, this joy, this peace. God, through the Holy Spirit, produces it for me. If you're lacking joy, and maybe you're in here this morning saying, I don't have the joy I should have. Then let God give you the joy. I can't give it to you. Now we can come down, we can pray together. But the only one that's going to give you that joy is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you say, I'm lacking peace. I still have peace, Pastor. I just, I just don't, have, I don't have real peace. Ask the Lord to give it to you through the Holy Spirit. I can't. The world can't give it to you. Christ said he would. You know when somebody's in a lot of pain, when somebody's doing through a, going through a lot of health problems, financial problems, that's one of the main things I pray for them. I mean, I want them to be healed, amen. We want them to get well. But the main thing I say, Lord, give them peace. I prayed for that for Sister Alice Martin for months. Lord, just give her peace. You promise peace, amen. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Christ promised it. It's there for the taking. He's got to give it to you. Peace. Maybe you're lacking love. Let the Lord Jesus Christ give it to you. One of the most powerful prayers a person can pray as a Christian is just to pray this. When you're down, you're out, you're down in the mouth, maybe you messed up, you did some sin you know you shouldn't have done. I mean, you really, whatever it might be, and you're just down, you're kind of depressed, then one of the greatest prayers you can pray is to say, Lord, I want you to show me how you really feel about me. See, that's a scary sounding prayer, amen? Because as sinners, we know, man, I, I think the Lord's really going to hate me. And he's going to, I'm going to get this image of God with a frown. And every time I've had somebody pray that prayer around me, every time I pray that prayer, every time I've had somebody pray that prayer around, around me, you know what they find out? God's there with his loving arms. Say, I love you. I'm not happy with what you did, but I love you. I love you. Man, that's, you can't pay for that. That's when the world don't have this stuff. Because they're running away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall that servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Oh, <laughs> it gets even better. Amen. Not only is Mephibosheth allowed to eat at the table, the kindness of God allows you to become the son of God. Right over my head. I don't get it. It's one thing for God to say, okay, you're a sinner. And I, I have a lot of love. I have a lot of grace. I'm going to give it to you. But it's another totally different thing for God to say, I'm going to give you all this grace, all this love. And by the way, I'm going to start calling you son. And you can be my, you can call me father. And I'm going to be your dad. Wow. Why? That means... You have an inheritance coming to you. It's amazing. It's one, thing to be, it's one thing to be friends with somebody rich. It's another thing for that rich person to say, he's like a son to me. And to treat you like a son. Amen? 
I mean, like a son, like when, they, when the person passes away, they open up the will. And you've heard all these stories before when somebody opens up the will and they leave their inheritance to somebody, a friend or somebody. They're like, why'd they do all that? Because they looked at them like they were their kids. That's what God does with you. <laughs> Woo! That's good stuff. It shouldn't be that way. Honestly, right? Why would God want to do that? Can you explain that, Pastor? Not one bit. I can't explain it. The only way I can explain it was with one word. Love. There's a love there that I don't understand. I see the way some people treat their kids, and I'm like, man, if that was my kid, I'll I tell you what I would do. No, you wouldn't. You know why they act that way? To their, why they let their kid get away with that? Why? Love. They love them. And when my son, he can be away from the house for a year. You know what he does when he comes home? He doesn't, he don't come up and knock on the door. You know what he does? He comes walking wide in the door. I'm home. Dad, where you at? You know why he does that? Because he knows my house is his house. He knows he's always welcome. He knows when he walks in that door, there's going to be somebody there that loves him. That wants to see him. That wants to talk with him. That wants to have a fellowship with him. That's what he knows when he walks in those doors. He knows there's love and grace and kindness and joy on the other side of those doors. So he don't have any problem walking in. He don't want to knock. He belongs there. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. We walk into the Father's house. We just come on in. Lord, I'm here. Come on down and sit with me. I'm going to fellowship. I'm going to talk with you. Lord, I really messed up today. Yeah, I know. You'll do better tomorrow. Everything's going to be okay. Why do they put up with so much off their kids? Because they love them. Why does God put up with so much off of us? Because he loves us. But see, the difference is we have evil in us and we still can show love. Think about God's pure love and how much better it is. Amazing. Amazing. A son has an inheritance with the father's kingdom. Verses 12 and 13 in closing, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. The kindness of God in closing allows all of this to happen while we're still lame on our feet, while we're still sinners. It's not like God saves us and all of a sudden we become holy, amen? amen? You might not realize that, but no, you did not become holy. No, you did not become sinless when you became a Christian. A lot of Christians kind of, they, they've got to where they, they think, okay, now I'm holy and I'm righteous. No, you're not. You're still the same sinner. The only difference is you're saved. You're a mighty sinner. Now you're saved by mighty grace. You're still a mighty sinner and there's still got to be mighty grace. That's where, the, that's where the world gets messed up. They see sinners. We come to Christ. We get saved. We still make some of the same mistakes. Oh, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. You're a hypocrite too. I'm a hypocrite and you're a hypocrite. The only difference is I'm a saved hypocrite. Amen, amen, amen. I don't care if anybody likes that or not. Amen. I'm saved. Not because of anything I did. I'm lame. I'm useless. I'm a dead dog. I'm like Mephibosheth. I was sitting around. I was sitting on the road like a beggar. And Jesus Christ came by my way. 
and spoke to my heart and said, I want to save you. I don't want you to go to hell. Come with me. I've got a place waiting for you. I want to save you. I want to cleanse you. I want to wash you. I want to make you white as snow. I want to give you peace and love and joy. And I felt that calling on my heart. And I knew that I was a sinner. And I rose up in the church one day when I was about 17. And I walked down the aisle. And I said, I want to get saved. And I was saved. Never looking back. And I've been saved. And I'm going to stay saved. Because I'm still a sinner. I'm still at Mephibosheth. I'm still lame on my feet. But I found God's grace when he came by. And maybe you're out here this evening and this morning. And Jesus Christ has walked by your way seeking for you and talking to you and tugging on your heart and wanting you to come. All I can say is, come get saved. Take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And all this kindness will be yours. The world's got God wrong. The world's got God as this angry guy sitting on a cloud, kind of like Zeus, the way they met, with a bolt, lightning bolt trying to throw it down, trying to kill people. Trying to, don't you heard people say, I hate God. If there's really a God, he's sitting lightning down. And you heard people say that? I've heard people say that, and we all step back. But the truth is, I know my God, he wouldn't strike him. I've seen people say that, and they never get struck down. Why don't they get struck down? Is there not really a God? No, there's a God. They don't understand the kindness of our God and the mercy and the grace. See, in our, with our human heart, we hate that person. We're mad at that person. In God's heart, He loves them and wants to save them. When they beat, whip, did everything you can imagine to Jesus Christ and nailed Him to the cross, Jesus Christ, one of His last words were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the love of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your love, Lord God. And Father, I, I know I've got a bunch of Mephibosheths underneath the sound of my voice, Lord God. They know they're dead dogs. They know they're sinners, Lord God. And they want to thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy, Lord. They appreciate you. I love you, Lord. And I know I don't love you enough. I know I don't show it enough, Lord God, but I do love you. And I do appreciate you. Allow me into your house and just to sit at your table and to feed off your book and to read your word, Lord God. And Lord, I know there's a lot of Christian brothers and sisters that don't have that privilege, Father. And I know I'm spoiled, Lord, and I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I don't deserve it, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody on the sound of my voice that's dealing with trying to do something for you, Lord God, and they keep tripping, they keep falling, Lord God, I pray, Father, that you through the Holy Spirit, Lord God, would speak to the heart, Lord, and do it for them and show them that, Lord, you'll do it. You'll win the battle. You'll get the victory, Lord God, if they'll just get out of the way, Lord God, and allow you to work. And Lord, I pray, Father, somebody, need, somebody needs to sound my voice that is not saved, Lord God, that you're tugging on their heart, Lord God. You're speaking to the heart right now, Lord God, that they'd bow their head. Admit that they're a sinner and ask you to save them, Lord God, because I know that you're in the saving business, and I thank you for that. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life.
and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him